0: This interview is one in a series recorded by the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust as part of a Health Education England funded programme to transform outcomes for children and young people with extra vulnerability to mental health difficulties. The series includes interviews with a range of experts who each have specialist knowledge on the needs and experiences of a particular vulnerable group. This is an interview with Dr. Mina Fazell. So can you tell me something about the most important issues in terms of mental health for? Um, refugee children? So the most important issues with regards to
1: the mental health of refugee children are really thinking about the environment in which the child is in and also the background of the child who's come to you. So it's not difficult to think about the background often because that's in the press and people are aware that these children have likely come from a very difficult environments, which is the reason why they've left. So their home environment might have been disrupted. They might not have had any experience of education or a very disruptive experience of education. So that's what we call what would have happened in their home country. They might have been exposed to potentially traumatic events. They might have experienced a whole range of losses, personally or community-wise. And then there's the whole journey to a place of safety, which could just take a two-hour flight, or it could take two years of horrific traveling. Um, And in the press over the last few years, seeing what's been happening in the Mediterranean, this is a problem that's been going on for many, many years. Um, The treacherous journeys and the risks that young people go through with their families or without their families. And then there's that last area to think about, which is the post-migration environment, we call it, or the current situation which they're in living in a country of refuge and so i think when we're working with these groups we need to think actually we can't modify too much about what they've experienced before they come to a country like england for example but we really can do a lot to improve their experience where they currently are and so if you're working with these young people and no matter what environment or situation you're in you really need to think that actually, even if you can't address the past or you feel very scared or unskilled to do that, you can dramatically change things just by altering the environment in which they're currently in. So I'm happy to give examples of, you know, what I think is important. Yes, please. So thinking about the current situation that refugee children find themselves in, let's start with schools. So in Britain, for example, many children are put straight into school and they're put in an age appropriate class. So there are many advantages to that socially, peer wise. They don't you know, stick out like a sore thumb necessarily, but there are also difficulties associated with that. If you've not had any education or, you know, you've obviously going to have some linguistic difficulties. So yeah. facilitating that settling in is important, understanding what their learning needs will be. But You know, kids are kids. Kids just want to hang out with other kids. And what we need to do when we're working with these kids is actually think, you know, what What they want is just to be a normal kid who has a normal peer network. So we did some interesting research a while ago where I asked refugee children, you know, what was the one most important thing that happened to help you? we were sort of expecting them to say the day we got our refugee status because many of these are asylum seekers and they're very fearful of being returned back to their countries of origin but what these kids said was nothing to do with the day they got status they said they referred to incidents and periods of time where they became accepted by their peer group so you know the most important thing for this kid wasn't you know all these other things that happened around you know counseling even or um getting status it was actually when they went up in assembly and they said something that made everyone laugh mm-hmm. and actually they felt accepted by their peer group then or another kid coming and inviting them to join them in football practice so you know actually i'm a child psychiatrist and clinically i'm i feel like i have none of the most important therapeutic interventions available to me because actually What these kids need and the way we can help them is much more available within a context like a school than in a clinical environment. So it's really important for anyone working with these young people in schools to know that they are in the place where the most positive impact can take place. So, you know, I think there are two important things you need to think about if you're working in a school, for example, with refugee children. One is, what are you doing to prepare the kids at the school? to ensure the school is a welcoming environment. Because often schools go, oh, the refugee kids are coming, we've got to do something for the refugee kids. Well, actually, the most important step is to make sure that something's being done for all the kids at the school, to understand where these kids come from, to understand what it might feel like to come at a point in the school year when no other kids were arriving, when you don't know anybody. And schools, you know, they, some schools do buddy systems, but actually in a school, you could be far more creative than that. Because you can create kind of natural plays ways for these kids to meet. You know, as a teacher, you can think, hmm, which are the two or three kids that are most likely to be welcoming and accepting of this child? Why don't we create projects and put this kid in? Yeah. Why don't we, you know, in our structured and unstructured settings, create naturalistic, you know, ways that these people can build their social network without thinking that it's been engineered. Yes. So, you know, why don't we facilitate that in a way that makes them feel proud that they're a refugee, makes them feel valued, makes them feel welcome? You know how much richness these kids will bring with their experience. So, we need to change our perspective yes. on how we perceive these populations, and also the
0: responsibility of the host population in that. So, what um, what might a uh, uh, perhaps a member of staff, or someone in a family, or a friend? notice if a a refugee child is beginning to experience depression or anxiety or something what might be the signs of that to look out for particularly well i think the first thing is it's going to
1: be quite normal to take a while to adjust so you know not to worry too much yeah too quickly yeah that actually they want to make friends and to learn the language Mm -hmm. so if we facilitate that that might be the most powerful intervention but okay. they all want to learn the language. You know, they all want, But, you know, you learn the language and if no one in your school speaks to you, you've got no opportunity to practice it, really. So, you know, in just facilitating the peer networks, the interactions, if they come in a family, finding ways for families to welcome them, to feel part of the school community. They're always so isolated. Like in all my interviews with these kids... They've been here, you know, even if they've been in the UK four years, five years, they've never been in the home of a native family. Mm. You know, so it's not, you know, we might provide whatever therapeutic assistance these kids need, but if they're not feeling welcome on any level where they are, then it's very complicated. So I think if you're worried about these kids, let's do the basic things first and provide what they need. So that's kind of linguistic support. That's helping them feel like they can build a peer network and then i think you know it's just to be aware that that if these you know that the most common problems are uh, low mood and anxiety as well as if they've experienced a traumatic event um the whole range of symptoms associated with that, which at its most extreme end is
0: post-traumatic stress disorder, but in between
1: there's a whole range of
0: stressors and adjustments And what might that look like in 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 that child? What might say to you that 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 child perhaps has has um, anxiety, depression, or perhaps PTSD? It's about functioning, I suppose. If they're more withdrawn
1: than you'd think, if they're not able to make friends, if. Uh, you know, so one is whether they arrive like that and the other situation is if they change in their behaviour. So I think you need to be aware of both. But I think a child that's withdrawn, obviously every kid's going to be a bit withdrawn when they first start in a new environment. But actually, if, if you feel that it's getting difficult yeah. to help them beyond that, then then it'd be important maybe just to ask the teachers what they've seen, ask the family, Um make nobody get too worried
0: this is normal just normalizing on some level is also important okay great um if if um if a child is having problems what might have what kind of support and intervention might be needed so the big problem with
1: refugee and asylum-seeking children along with a whole range of other vulnerable populations if those are ethnic minority children those that parents of mental illness, those that have physical and and disabilities, for example, is that services are quite difficult to access for these groups. So I think it's just an awareness of that. Now, if you come from abroad, you know, you might come from a country that has mental health systems that are completely unrecognizable to the ones here. So there's also just little understanding, you know, about what we do here. I think many families fear that if we think there's a problem, they're either going to be sent back and deported or they might lose their child and that child's taken away. So we've also got to understand the ingoing fears and stigma that, that is quite prevalent and understandable given how they've known what our services look like. We have very few resources available in their native languages to explain these things. So I think it's really important just as a first step to just explain a little bit about what how we work in the UK, that actually schools often have individuals in their pastoral support team or counsellors sometimes who are there to talk to them and help advise that schools can facilitate referrals to mental health services. And depending where you live, those mental health services can, are becoming increasingly accessible at the coalface. So more and more services are starting to look to schools and to work in collaboration with schools. We're doing that quite a lot in Oxfordshire, um, for example, but it's kind of across the UK, I think. Um, there are lots of third-sector organisations and charities that, that might be able to just build bridges. Because what you want to do, I think is explain what services are, but then do what you can to facilitate that next step. Because, like, if a child is traumatised, for example, a core part of their symptoms will be to avoid any reminder of the trauma. That's just a core feature of of what happens to you. And then they know that if they get referred to services, the thing we're going to do is ask them about the one thing that, Everything in their body and mind tells them to avoid. So it's incredibly difficult to expect a family to just happily come to services when they're going to go to something completely alien that they don't understand. To talk about the thing that there's the last thing in the world they want to talk about. So we got to think. Actually, it's totally fair enough that that's the last thing in the world
0: yeah.
1: families um, want to do. And so you know, yeah. it makes us quite inaccessible.
0: So if if as as a sort of non specialist. Um, Um, member of staff or um, someone around that child is it better not to talk about the original sort of trauma that they've come from Mm -hmm. is it better to avoid talking about that kind of thing
1: so I think what happens is everyone around them avoids it because Obviously, if you work in a school and you're a teaching assistant or or even a year ahead, none of you have been trained to deal with trauma. So, so obviously, the natural response of everyone is, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know what to do if they talk about it. I don't want to make it worse for that child to bring it up. But then, you know, the subliminal message these kids then get is that nobody in the world wants to talk to them about it, that it's actually dangerous. So, you know, the minute they might be an opening to talk about it, the natural reaction of the majority of teachers, for example, would be to run away from talking about it because obviously they don't know what they're doing. That's totally understandable. But the actual reality for that child is that it's an incredibly complicated experience they might have gone through. And then if the message everyone around you is, don't tell me, then actually, how are they ever going to seek help? So actually, I think it's the opposite. That I think it's totally okay to say, I don't really personally know how I can help you but I want you to know that I will come with you to find out how I can get you help and so tell me you know do you have things that are worrying you are you getting kind of memories impacting on you in the day you know I saw you in class you jumped when the door slammed is that because it reminded you of something bad that's happened in the past and if it is I'm gonna help you find services and I'll come with you to your first appointment. Or you know, why is that so difficult to do? So what we developed in Oxford a few years ago a long time ago, it feels now, is you know, we we put the mental health service in the school. So then the teacher could come for the first ten minutes. That the transition into mental health services was much easier. And that's what it should be. So I think You know, what we know is it's unlikely to make a child worse for you to ask them if there's something affecting them. And if you don't ask them, you might have been the only person that child trusts enough to allow to learn. So as long as you know your role is that you're going to accompany them to get the care they need and that you understand this is an incredibly difficult thing for them. And although you yourself can't do it, you're going to help them. I really think it's important
0: that... Not to not to perpetuate this avoidance cycle. Great. Um, in terms of the sort of the, the the voices of young people, are there any key things from that sort of lived experience of people who've had perhaps good and bad experiences that you'd that you'd want to to tell us about? Yeah, I think you know they all seem to want to be a normal
1: kid <laughs> in England, <laughs> if they're in England or wherever they are. You know, so they just want normal friends, which means they just want to be friends with the kids in their classes and to feel accepted. That seems to be, you know what, that's what every single kid wants, isn't it? They don't want to be isolated at school only, you know. So for many, they say that it's very useful in the first few weeks or months to have had friends who've gone through similar experiences to them. But after a couple of months, they all want to make friends with actually the host population. So you know, schools can facilitate that better than anybody else really, I can't I'm far away, I don't know anyone in school I can't, don't, you know, have no contact with the peers um, so this is a, a, a really massive thing that can help and you know, there are a lot of projects in the community are for the refugee kids and There's this group for refugee kids and there's enough school activity for refugee kids. But actually that's not what they all want. You know, they like it. It's better than nothing. But why don't you create a new football club for kids who've never been in a club before, you know, or, you know, cricket for many kids that come from, you know, parts of Asia, like Afghanistan, You know, cricket's a massive sport in these countries, so that's an inroad for girls. You know, we've got to be creative. You know, if it's you know dance clubs or sewing clubs or you know that they don't as easily seem to access you know sports clubs, unfortunately, yet. So we need to just think what would they likely come to, and create those lunchtime clubs. Make sure that it's attractive to all the kids. That's a great service.
0: Fantastic. Any kind of quite practical, you've probably covered most practical strategies, but any other really practical strategies that uh, a teacher or support staff might might put in place to help learning, to help them settling in? Well, if they've come with their family, not to forget that their family's likely going to have many
1: needs and many complex needs. So, you know, I would imagine writing as much down... Google Translate can translate into any language, it's good enough, you know, why don't we use these technologies, so, you know, why can't we write a little note saying, dear parents, just to let you know, she's doing really well, we've given her this homework, it's going to be quite difficult, and this is what it's about, and get that all translated on Google Translate, and parents can help you know so why don't we facilitate that you know they need they need access to the internet for this piece of homework we've told her that she can stay at school from five to six this day to do it you know what and that someone will help so just a way to facilitate that communication because you know these parents are bombarded you know like anyone who's got kids at school can't be bothered to read all the information that comes but so you're not going to be able to get through all this stuff especially if it's in the wrong language so there are lots of ways that we can make that easy without too much effort. Yeah. So um, just to, just go that little extra step because these kids, you know, are likely to have quite a lot of responsibility on their shoulders at home. If they're the only person that can speak the native language, then they're likely going to be used by their families to translate legal documents, to facilitate the interaction with the outside world. So they probably have a lot of burdens as well. And so... Anything to support the parent maintaining their parental role in yeah. this system, we'd give them information I think is really, really valuable.
0: Great. Okay. What what would be the one thing that if you could change it for refugee children and their mental well being that you'd do? It'd force all, all schools to prepare themselves before any kids arrived.
1: Great. You know that actually this isn't doing something for refugee kids, this is a whole school responsibility what have you done to prepare your school in the most exciting creative way so that when these kids arrive everyone's somewhat more aware and prepared and excited you know so i think you know right now a lot of thought is being put into let's what do we do for the refugee kids but actually is so actually what do we do for the host population
0: no one's really doing that well i think So some simple ideas that you might, as a school, do or a class? Well, you know,
1: so there are ways to commemorate events that are are interesting. So some schools do um, a lot around food that seems to be really interesting. So they invite families to bring their national dish in and things like that for everyone to try so there are very positive aspects of every culture and a lot of it is around food so you know you can do a kind of food thing um I think you know talking a little bit about the good things of every culture and people talking about so you know just something where you can feel proud if you come from Syria you know it's a horrific thing but actually Syria yeah. as a nation is the most beautiful, rich, culturally, you know, rich and stunning place. So how can, you know, we facilitate a kid to feel proud about where they come from as well, as well as also the community to be aware that how difficult it must be to be displaced, yeah. you know. So, um, and I think, you know, so schools just to help the kids in the class understand this without yeah. burdening the refugee yeah. kid having to be the educator of it all really you know what do we think it might feel like to arrive new at a school in a non-traditional point of entry you know (laughs) they could prepare all the kids for that without even saying oh by the way we've got one coming next week but you know if that work is done a fortnight before they know there's a new arrival then actually who knows what the
0: shift might be great anything that you think you might have missed that would be really useful key messages is there anything you can think of that we need to kind of know about
1: yeah you know i suppose we need to be aware of the fact that um the global crisis and forced migration or refugees is a massive one right now it's affecting 60 million people around the world of whom half are children so there's a large number of children being forced to move because of um organised violence the ones that come to high income countries like England are a very specific group they're the most resilient probably and the most resourceful so we need to think in a global perspective that actually these kids aren't representative of the global refugee crisis and not to forget that but also to give these children and families their due respect they're actually an unbelievable group of people who come they're not the weakest and the most desperate and the most deprived they're probably the most capable people in their own individual societies and so actually how lucky we are yes that actually this they're coming obviously we have unbelievable responsibilities to those that are forces placed stuck in refugee camps in either in the original country or on a border region with absolutely no resources so obviously we've cannot forget that but our attitude towards those that arrive here have to be you know this is an amazing group of people we've got how lucky we are and actually what can we do to support that because they'll become incredible resources either
0: for this nation or to go and build up their own nations if if and when they want to return. Thank you for listening. If you have found this resource useful please consider making a charitable donation to CWMT by texting TALK18 and the amount to 70070. And to learn more about the work of the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, please visit cwmt.org.uk.